Amen. So how many of you, uh, just checking in, how many of you were not here last night? Okay. One of the things is, uh, I would encourage you, do you have that on Facebook where people can watch it again? Facebook? Yeah. I would encourage you to watch it. Uh, I may watch it myself. I learned some things while I was talking. And uh, it's, it's true because... See, until you're amazed by what you do, the Father's not operating through you. The worst thing is to be stuck with ourselves. I, I just want to tell you, uh, if you don't celebrate who you are, you can never celebrate who others are. You say, oh, no, no, I celebrate other people. No, because in that celebration, there's a spirit of envy. Because you wish you were them, and that's a spirit of envy, and it's never true. It's never pure celebration until you celebrate yourself in the Father's presence. Then you can celebrate other people unhinged with any soulish attitudes. You can celebrate other people. You know why a lot of times we won't celebrate other people? It's because we're afraid we'll cause them to win, and we feel like we're losing anyway. And a lot of times, pity likes company. You know what pity is? It's where you sit around and cry about your life. And actually, demons come and join you. Sometimes you call them friends. <laughs> but <laughs> demons come and beat you up. I want you to think about this. We actually pay and laugh at comedians like Rodney Dangerfield who actually put people down because our pain is so deep that laughing actually helps loosen it, but it doesn't set us free. Rodney Dangerfield makes us laugh. Well, if something's going right, well, we just wait till it comes wrong. Nothing ever works out. We laugh, but in, underneath that laughter is a hopelessness that we start to become comfortable with. Please do not entertain yourself with those kinds of spirits. Because I've seen Christians saying things are going too well. What's going to go wrong? You've been watching too much of Rodney Dangerfield. Now, there is a devil, and he will always attack. Uh, you know, if you want a snake-free life, you need to get off a Christian crack. You're delusional. In the Garden of Eden, God walking and talking to man... There was a serpent in the middle of a perfect place. God does not want you to choose him because of no temptation. He wants you to choose him over it. He put the tree of life right next to the tree of knowledge. God wants you to choose him in the sphere of influence that is not from heaven. How many of you would like to be married to your spouse? And they say, why did you marry me? And they said, because there was nobody else available. God wants to be chosen over. Do you hear what I just said? He wants to put all kinds of wonderful things in front of you, and then he wants you to choose him as the wonder of your life. Not success, not money, not your, not your accomplishments. I'm all for that because you all look beautiful, you all look accomplished, but you know what? The wonder of wonders is him in our life. I want you to understand this. You were made in the image of God. I'm going to talk about identity, but I, I just like to just share from my heart because I get more done. 
You were made in the image of God so God could fit in you and you could fit in God. If I, was, if I would have been God, I would have never made you in my image. Aren't you glad I'm not God? And I'm glad you aren't either. So now we're even. He made us in his image so that he could dwell in us and we could dwell in him. We call it this. He abides in us and I abide in him. Do you understand how interlocking that relationship is? That's why when it talks about husband and wife, it talks about it's a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church and us being one flesh. And when we start seeing ourselves one with Jesus, for me to lose is for God to lose. David knew when he ran toward Goliath, for him to lose was God to lose. And he knew there was no way God was not losing. God is so overinvested in us, if we will believe that, that he starts taking our situations in a personal manner. Because it's that kind of a relationship. But see, if you don't see your identity in him as one, then you're going to have to find your identity by what you win, not the fact that you've, you're one. And you've won in that oneness. And that actually, that you have eternal life in you, and that when literally we peel off this suitcase or we get re-transformed, we just keep walking right into the next realm, one with him. Because my eternal life has already started. I'm not waiting to die. And I mean, I have eternal and I have life. And it's so powerful to live in that kind of dimension. There's no fear of death. If you have a fear of death, you really can't live. Because you're trying to protect what you can't. You can't even turn your hair color. Your hairdresser can, but you, you can't. You know, we, 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 but our choices make everything different. So what I want to talk about today in identity is this. If I can devalue, I'm speaking the enemy. If the enemy can devalue your identity, he can change your assignments. He can cancel your assignments, cause you to sign up for something less, and actually let you succeed but you'll never get to what God called you for. Let me put it like this. Billy Graham could have pastored a church, the largest church in America, or he could have evangelized the world. He could have went to heaven, probably in his day, having the largest church in the earth. And when he come before Father God, Father, he said, I succeeded, didn't I? What do you mean? Well, I had a bigger church than anybody. Billy Graham, I have a problem with you. You didn't do what I called you to do. You were trying to succeed in the eyes of others, but you failed in my eyes. I called you to evangelize the world, to meet with the presidents of nations, kings and queens, to meet with the presidents of... I wanted you to shift the world, and you just built a big church. Success actually can be failure in God's eyes. Now, don't get all freaked out like, I'm afraid I'm not doing it. Listen, if you love him... If you make the wrong decision, and if your heart's right, he'll make your wrong decision turn into the right path. Because he looks at the heart. If you're afraid you're going to miss God's will, uh, and, and you love him, rest in the fact that because your love will actually get you there. 
Do you know when you, when, you, when you love someone, even if you start off with the wrong gift, you'll end up with the right one because you make it work. How many men you've bought, you love your wife, you buy her a gift? You keep the receipt because you know. <laughs> this is like guaranteed. But what you want to do is buy the gift. Maybe before you go to heaven, there will be one she will not return. Hallelujah. Just remember, she picked you and you still can't figure out why she married you. So it's still rolling. <laughs> You know what I mean? You think, why would she marry me? She's so wonderful. So what, what, I, what I'm getting at is that God will make it work because love makes it work. So if I was to, I want you to just to close your eyes and I want you to think about identity. I want to think about, first of all, you're somebody's child. You grew up somebody's child. Father, your mother. Now this is the truth. The way your father and mother see you is called a primary relationship. It's so imprinting into our identity. It is... It will never be perfect for any of us. Actually, God won't allow it because he wants to be our father. And he'll leave something out that makes us need him. I don't care how wonderful your parents are. He is the God of all of us. As you think about this, you might also be married or you could be divorced. You could have children. You know, when I got married, I became a husband. You became a husband, a wife. Then you had children. Now you're a father, you're a mother. Are you understanding your identity is shifting? Some of you are grandparents. How many of you realize you thought you prayed of your kids when they were five, six, and seven? Wait till they get 15, 34, and 50. Then you really pray because that's the only thing they listen to. Hard, are you with me? You think you know how to pray now? Wait till they get older. You really have to pray. Now, as you just think about this, what do you do for work? What do you do in the church? But I want to come back to this. Do you really see yourself as a son and a daughter of Father God? Do you believe that when it says in the scripture in Jeremiah, it says, I knew you. When I formed you in your mother's womb. And this is an amazing thing that God knew you before your mother held you. If I could, uh, if I could just have you open up your eyes a minute and I just, I would like to just demonstrate something. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Clay's parents to come up here. And if you would stand here, uh, is there somebody here over six feet, like Who's 6'5", six, 6'4"? Six, That's so good. This here man right here, that, you look good. You, right there, you're pretty tall. Your wife was pointing at you, the blue jacket. And, and also, you have the gray hair, that, which fits in good with this. Okay. 
you'll understand. If you would stand right in front of this podium, okay, just stand up here on this stage. And I'm going to ask the two of you to come stand over here. And I want to ask Clay, if you just, uh, and I, I want you to stand behind and you stand here face the people. Clay, just come over here and you stand right between God and parents. Okay. Now, 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 now I want you to drop your hands because this is what I want to explain how we are birthed. God knew Clay before she ever held him. You came through your parents from Father God. So what God did to form you, he said, I know this couple that I can form clay. And so God the Father, knew, put your hands on, and you pushed him through and you open up like a door. <laughs> and, and here we have clay. Part of each of them, but also something very unique. Clay, I want you to stand out here a minute. This is a problem with most of us. Turn around. We try to determine our future by looking at our parents and missing the father who made us. We try to determine the anointing or the possibilities. And we look at our parents and we set limitations based on their achievements instead of the one who achieved us. And in it, yet the Bible says, it says, call no man father except God. So, he's supposed to call him father, not God. God is so weirded out by being called God. <laughs> Yet, the other scripture says, unless a man honors his father and mother, we just called him father, that he will not be blessed and he'll not have a long life because if you can't honor your father and mother you're actually dishonoring your father's choice of who he brought you through even if you never met your father. Even if your father did not treat you right, treat the mother right, the combination was right to make you and that was perfect. Everything else the devil messed with, that's something else, but you were perfectly formed from a perfect genius of a God to do something nobody else could do in the way you do it. And when you complain about who you are, when you say, I wish I was somebody else, what you're really saying is, you really aren't a good father. You're not a good creator. God the Father is the creator of all mankind desiring to be recognized as their father. Did you hear what I just said? That's why God so loved the world, because he created every person in the world. When most Christians start off here, they say like, God, I feel like trash. God, I feel like trash. I'm a sinner. 
I'm a sinner. I'm such a mess. I'm such a mess. I don't know why you love me. I don't know why you love me. And then you start worshiping God. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Yeah, yeah. Now you but I still feel like trash. But I still feel like trash. But I'm glad you love me. But I'm glad you love me. Now. Okay. Now, Father God's up here thinking. I don't make trash. I don't make trash. I make genius. I make genius. The devil makes trash. The devil makes trash. He tries to. He tries to. Out of my genius. Out of my genius. So, I'm sorry to do this. I want you to sort of be like a little bit the devil. Okay, yeah, stay right there. Stay right there. Now, I did it. Yeah, I want you to. Yeah, now, 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 I want you, I want you to take and shake your hands over his head. Because this is the deal. Most Christians say to God, I love you. I don't know why you put up with me. I don't know why you put up with I'm me. Just trash. I'm just trash. And the devil is laughing. <laughs> and God is weeping because this is the deal. He made him and he made us in his likeness and image. And we say we're trash. We're really saying he's trash. They don't say I'm trash in their mind. They say I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. But actually you're a saint. Now let me just go from the beginning. Let me just say this. And Josh, come over here. Go back through your parents. Okay. (laughs) He's going to be born again. Let me just say this to you. You were born... Literally, if you understand this, you were created in perfection. And when you came through, there was perfect. And right from the birth, the devil starts putting trash on us. And what the deal is, is this. You were born and literally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be careful how I use these words. Sin is what made us feel less than. We were created in his perfection, but sin beat us down. Life. And you have to understand that that the principality of the atmosphere that we've been born in is demonic, but where we were created from was heavenly and perfect. So what happens, even in the womb, the devil can be messing. He can be interfering. Now, this is the deal. When we stand here, turn around. What was the sin in the garden? When the devil said to Adam and Eve, you know what? There's something God has held back from you. And what he, they, he made them believe is that something was missing. And actually, God had not given them everything. And through that, the devil got an advantage. Now, I'm going to say this to you in a different way. If you don't believe you have everything to do, everything you need to be who you are in God, the devil's getting an advantage. I didn't say you see everything God's given you, but I'm saying whenever you start to believe, God left something missing from me. 
for me to succeed, you're actually falling under the first attack the devil had against the identity. And out of insecurity, Eve reached up, took the fruit of knowledge, bit into it. And this is the truth. Ever since, women have been shopping and men have paid for the sin. That's all I'm telling you. Okay, now. You... Okay, so, okay, I'm sorry to build up to such a great point. All I'm saying, men, the devil is in the mall. That's all I'm saying. Okay, now, I, my wife and I, you have to have fun, okay? But now this is the deal. If you don't believe you have what you need from him, the devil has the right to slip in, I call it counterfeit anointing. And it's available in this world. And it is, it is literally, it is the, if I want to call it anything, it's the booze of success. It's the booze of good looks. It's a bo- whatever takes away your pain of I'm not enough from him. I want everyone just to say this. I'm complete. It, I was created in completeness. I was created in completeness. Perfectly created. For what I do, not everything I'd like to do. You know, I'd like to cut a CD and be on a worship album like Lauren Daigle. Jesus! If you have to pray for a better voice, it could be a clue that you are not. Do you realize if God would have gifted us in every area, we would have actually went into confusion over our purpose? Sometimes what you can't do is to get you into what you can do. I want, I want, to, I want you to think about this, and you can sit there a minute because I know you're, you're still recovering. Here, 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 yeah. And sit now, and, and I just break off everything off of you because you're so anointed of heaven. Hallelujah. Uh, so, so uh, this, is, this is really a very real purpose, a, pr- a picture that you, we have to think about our purpose. That I want you to say this. I was created, to, I was born from my father to win. Just say it. I was born again to win, win. Sin tried to take the win out of my win, but being born again, put it back in. Now, what I'm saying is this. You were not damaged goods that got saved. You were perfect goods that got damaged by sin, that got the sin removed. There's a big difference. Big difference. Because your base value was perfect till sin came in. He got sin off. Now your genius comes out. But if you walk around, we'll say... I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, that's what, listen, let's put it like this. Sinner saved by grace is what you were walking through the door. When you sit down in heavenly places, you're a son who's found his place, not a sinner saved by grace. Now, don't forget you were, but that's not who you are. Now, how many of you go around when you meet people? You go up to them and you go like this. Oh, uh, hello, my name's Dale. What's going on? Well, I never want to forget I was a baby. 
it's good to see you. I don't want to ever forget I'm a baby. I mean, that's a little bit retarded. I don't, I, mean, is that, I don't know. There's something wrong with this. I just want to let you know I'm a, I was a baby. <laughs> yeah, we know that. When I'm sick, I'm a baby, my God. Now, man, this is a personal sidebar. When you're sick, milk it. It's the only time they're going to give you that kind of attention. Just even when you're better, fake it. <laughs> okay. So are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? So I'm not going to go around and say what I was. Now, I will talk in dimensions. If I was into drugs and I'm talking to people and I need to get them out, I'll remind them. But to, to continually remind people I'm a sinner saved by grace to a point it becomes my identity instead of a point of transition. Your points of transitions are not your identity. It's where your identity shifted. So if you understand this, now this is the key. Your identity has to shift about, I think, about seven times in life to, to really hit your top goal. I will say that some of you, your best genius will not be unlocked till you'll hit at least 60 to 70. I'm, I'm just telling you, if you would have told me at 55 that I would write books, and I've actually had this happen. This is not bragged. It's just fact. I'm not telling you this. People have told me this, that your book is one of the top 10 books I've ever read. A guy that gives it out to pastors. He said, I've not had a pastor I've given your David book to. It said it has not changed their life. Okay. It, th what you have to understand is, I, didn't, I love to read the Bible. I did not like reading books. I would read the first third of a book to a half. There's only a few books I've ever finished. If you told me I'd write books, I thought, you have the wrong guy. But you know what it did? What I found out that I didn't like books because... They weren't written in a way that I liked. So when I write books, now this is the deal. You may not like the way I write, but there are certain people that do. And this is the part I'm saying. If you were to write the same book on the same thing, you'd write it in a different way and reach a different group of people, and it's okay. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let's never try to say, well, is your book better? No, it's just different, and it reaches different people. As I'm here, uh, they, they want to know if they can sit down. God, what do you say? They, they can sit, okay. If God says it, they can sit, okay. <laughs> it is finished. That's <laughs> oh, my. I tell you, we're in the right crowd here. So, so do, you, do you get these pictures? I like, to, I like to put pictures in front of people because it takes you into places. I want you, I want you to just close your eyes. I'm going to talk about something real quick. I feel like to say this. Where did anybody say to you, why can't you be like your sister, your brother? A teacher said, you're never going to amount to anything. Negative words. I want you to think about negative words. And I want, to, I want you to think of it this way. Don't think of that person, but think of the enemy using that person's mouth to plant a lie on you. I just want you to reach in right in your spirit and just rip it off your heart right now in Jesus. Just reach like in front of your heart to say, I rip it off in Jesus' name.
Okay, now this is what we do. When, when somebody says something negative about us, and, and uh, uh, you're sitting, what's your name? Tommy, would you just come up here for a minute, please? And I'm going to do it this way. I, I just want, just now go, go, just, these are underpaid actors, so, but with as much conviction, just, just say this to me, say, you know, um, let's suppose we're in high school together. High school is a very dangerous place. It's filled with zit and bump land. People are starting to grow facial hair. They have no idea what's happening in their life, and they think they know everything. And it's the most insecure bowl. So if you can survive high school without being crushed by the devil, well, you didn't. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> because it's there, and you were part of it. But if we're in high school, and he says, you know. Now, you have to remember, when I was in high school, I was 5'4". I weighed 115 pounds at 16 years old. It was... Yeah. Both of my sisters were taller than me. My father called me shrimp. You're laughing and they're wow. I don't. The hurt's coming back on me. <laughs> Would you lay hands on my heart? Oh, Jesus, help. Anyway, okay. So now what happened my senior year, I grew about seven to eight inches. Literally, uh, not the strapping man of wonder that made my wife fall in love. Anyway, let's move on. But I'm shrimpy, and I want you to say, like, so we're here, and neither one of us is saved. And you know, you're so short. Shrimpy, you're so short. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never amount to anything. Now, how many of you know that I get saved, and he gets saved? And, I, and did ever you watch the happy days where... Where Fonz went back to beat up somebody, picked on him, and the guy couldn't remember what he said, if you remember that. Okay. So I get ready. I'm mad, but I'm going to beat him up. I'm thinking, because he was big, and when I meet him, I'm, but I got saved. And he got saved. And I say, Tommy, you know, what you said really hurt me. It crushed me. I went home and cried for weeks because my sisters were taller than me. And, and I, isn't it interesting? I picked on somebody that, okay, that's interesting. And I cried for weeks. But I want you to know, I forgive you for what you said to me. Now, this is the problem right here. And he says, oh, I, I, you know, I repented. Didn't know if I'd ever run into you. But now that I, it makes me feel good because I, I felt guilty because I could tell I hurt you. And we hugged. Now, this is a problem. I forgive him, but I do not remove the spirit of shame he released that came actually from hell that he had nothing to do with. And so what happens, I've forgiven him, but I still carry the shame of shrimp. And I'm not going to be big enough, even though I'm now big, I'm not going to be big enough to make it work. And now the big takes on a different, it's morphed into another thing. I'm not going to be smart enough. I'm not going to be whatever, big enough in any area that sometime I'm just going to be short not quite measure up. Or am I hitting any places in your heart? And what happens is, it says on the cross, Jesus bore our sin, I forgive you, but he also bore my shame. 
And if I don't get rid of shame, my identity is going to suffer because forgiveness does not restore me from the shame. That just gets the sin right. The shame is, as I walk away, I just say, and I peel off the spirit. He rele the devil released over me through those words. I peel off the shame. Some of you need to have like a peeling off of all. You need to think where everybody shamed you. Forgive them. But then say, Lord, what spirit of shame did it release over me? Because shame is what takes away our honor. But when we have honor, it says where there's shame, God gives us a double mantle. So... When we honor people, when we get shame off, then God can start putting honor on us and mantles on us. And what happens when we receive honor, then the genius that's inside of us starts to percolate and come out. And then we start saying, because we don't have a hometown attitude toward ourselves, of you know, when Jesus was in his hometown, he couldn't do any miracles. And we have a hometown. Jesus is here, but we put ourselves down. He said, well, I really wanted to do something great, but you don't have a right attitude toward yourself. You know what Jesus told me? He said, Dale, he said, you and me could go places. This is about 15 years ago. He said, you and me could go places, but you don't agree with me about you. I said, what do you mean? He said, you don't see yourself the way I see you. And we can't go places until that happens. And I, I said, Lord, start showing me every negative thought. I'm going to say this to you. What looks like success today can actually be a failure in next, the next season. Do you know why most people hang on to the past? It's the last place they won. They don't want to risk failure. And they'd rather hang on to a past victory than be vulnerable. But you cannot win without laying it on the line and being vulnerable with other people watching, judging, sometimes incorrectly. But are you looking at the judge or what people are thinking? Are you running your race for people or for him? To be truthful, at times I change. Sometimes I'm running for God, and then my church starts talking to me, and then I'm running for my church. It gets a little weird. I don't run as good. I sort of fall. But when I run in Him, it's like an amazing strength. But even when I run in my own eyes, you know what that is? That's like running your race, looking in the mirror to see how you're doing. That's... How many of you know, if you're watching yourself running, you're probably going to run into something? You know, that's not going to be movable, like a telephone pole. Let me go another step. You cannot really run your race until you're running it looking into your father's face. How, how, is this what you wanted, Father? Is this what you want to do? As, now, as I believe that whenever I pick somebody, there's always a reason. So, are, are you married? Okay, is your wife here? So you have an iPhone? I'm going to just give him a word. Just, if you want to come on up here, and we just do that. Okay? That way you have it. Because they charge, what was it, $99 a word? I don't know. Just get on an iPhone. I just like a joke, you know? 
What a deal. This is better than a Walmart special. Hallelujah. So, so anyway, Tommy, first of all, I felt like there's a reason why I called you and then you told me you were short like me. So you know what that's like. Actually, when I go back to high school, uh, everybody's looking for me down here and now I'm taller than them. I'm actually okay with that. Okay. There's, there's still guys taller than me, but you know what I'm saying. But I really felt like this. God said, I'm taking, I'm taking some things off of your mind where you don't feel like you measure up. And the Lord said, you're going to see you have exactly what is needed for the next assignment. There's going to be a grace that's revealed to your heart. There's going to be an anointing to go forward. And I even just speak, you're going to start hearing the voice of God in a greater way. That you're going to start hearing his love for you and his purpose for you. And it's actually going to be a season of acceleration for you. Now, I don't know why. I think you're a little bit older than this, but I just saw the number 32. Uh, where are you at? 35. You're 35. 36 and 5 seconds? A couple of weeks. Okay, I didn't know if we were right around the, the okay, this thing here. Okay, so, uh, so, so, so this is the part I want to say. I feel there's something God started at 32 that he's now accelerating. Did something shift at 32 in your job or something? If you, what's that? Yeah. Men, if you don't know, ask your wives. Men, yeah, you know, you know why? Men, we just live our life. Women have this internal calendar. It's like... Did we have ushers? Okay. Okay. When I point, okay? Okay. Okay. So, so I really feel like this. I really feel when you turn 36, God is, going to do, God is actually going to expand your uh, realm of authority actually in the year 36, the job you got at 32. And I thank you, Father God, that, and this is a part I want to say. When they say, Tommy, we have you for this job, don't say in yourself, don't say, I don't know if I can handle that. Do you know when you say that, when somebody chooses you for a job and you say you don't know you can handle it, it means they think more of you than you do. Now, that is really stupid. If other people think more of you than you do, believe them. Have enough sense to believe them. Am I helping anybody? I remember when they chose me to be a regional leader with this group of pastors. And I said, why would you choose me? This guy's older. He has a bigger church. And, this guy. and they said, Dale, you're the natural choice. And I thought, what natural are you looking at? And what was the truth was, I was so beat down in my own eyes, I couldn't even see my own leadership. And when people choose you for something you don't think you deserve, you, that means you're living a season and a half behind of your destiny. And you need to catch up. You say, God, give me an update. What lie am I believing that they see more greatness in me than I do, and I'm walking with you? Does that help anybody? When you get cho chosen for something, it means they believe you can do it. So you believe, and I thank you that belief turns into a genius in Jesus' name. And I release you to advance even beyond those that are older than you. Amen. Selah. Now I like my coat back. Okay. There's a prophetic anointing. Now, how, how many of you know this is real life? 
and real example. And let's give these underpaid actors. Oh, just a minute. I'm going to just say something to you. What's yeah, your first name? Cartley. Cartley. Uh, first of all, I don't know why. I felt like I saw uh, children, first of all, running around. And I felt like this. God said, you're always going to have a heart for the children. And I saw children coming back and saying, because of you, what you said to me when I was a child, I changed my life decision at this point. And God said, testimonies will come back to you because you let the little children come unto me. You're a special ed teacher, okay? That's good. Okay, thank you. Okay. I'm still trying to get over the fact that they laughed when I said shrimp. I'm just, it just twanged something there anyway. No, I'm just kidding. Now, I'm gonna tell you something. God, I'm saying that jokingly because it really didn't bother me at all. But God will let stuff come up just to recheck you before an assignment. Whenever you're about to step into another dimension, God will test you. This is not because he doesn't like you. It's because he loves you. And he wants to make sure you're prepared for this flight. How many of you would like to step onto a Boeing 747? And in the front, there's a doctor. As a matter of fact, it's your doctor. And he's going through the flight book talking to the guy beside him, who's a real estate investor. And he said, I can't believe it. They're going to let us fly. Have you read this thing before? No, but I'm sure we can figure it out. I'm into real estate. We're crossing real estate. You're a doctor. It has to work. How many know you're walking off that plane because they're not tested? It's not about brilliance. They're just not tested in that area. So what God will do in the area that he wants you to fly people, he will test you. Have you been tested in a certain area over and over again? God must be very serious about it. But also, this is the thing, you have to believe who he made you. Now, I want to ask, uh, I've had some, what do they call it, back noise from the front row? my wife, you know, just little comments. So I want her to come up here a minute and tell a little story. Because, see, what happened, some of you maybe don't know this, at 55, my first wife passed away of cancer. Uh, Luann, my wife, she had, her husband, had, if you read the book, God, I feel like Cinderella, I want to go, I want to go beyond that. And, and of course, he left, he, there was another woman, but he left her when she really got born again, okay? because he couldn't control her. You read the book. She'll tell more to this afternoon. I want you to talk about when you became a pastor. Okay. I just want to tap off something she just said when she got up. She goes, oh, my favorite thing, getting in front of people. That was my worst fear. And um, when I got saved, sit down, shrimp. <laughs> 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 when I got saved, I was um, not quite delivered of abuse, and I kept sin in my life from 33 to 38. I never shared with the Catholic priest of me having an abortion and about being molested as a child. 
and I needed a lot of forgiveness towards the people who molested me. And I never shared that until I was 38. I went into a born-again church that there was deliverance, and I was sitting in the front row, and he said, Luann, stand up, and he said, turn around. And I went, I can't. He goes, I want to share with you what happened to her, but it had to have been an event in school. And he said, God has called her to be a public speaker, but the enemy planted the fear of public speaking on her when she was a child. And when I was in third grade, I had a teacher who pulled me out of my desk and brought me to the front and, and spanked the crap out of me because I pinched a girl. <laughs> I deserved it. But I didn't realize what that put on me when I got in front of people. It was the fear of public speaking. And um, this teacher also, when we were lined up to get our school pictures, she pulled me out of line and she goes, let me fix your hair. And um, she took my hair and teased it like an older woman's. And when I got my picture taken, I didn't realize what I looked like because there was no mirror. And um, my, my mom had nine children, so when I took the pictures home, she took them out and she goes, Luann, your hair looks like hell. And uh, my, my parents weren't saved. They, we, they didn't go to church. That's the kind of roof I lived under with nine, is that was our verbal language. And um, it, I didn't realize what that put on me. It was um, the fear of a camera, the fear of what I look like, and the fear of getting in front of people and not knowing that's what I was called to do. And um, then... God brought me to Delaware, and you can read how I got to Delaware. God literally spoke to me to move to Delaware, and I didn't know why. But when I landed in Delaware, some prophet said, God has a husband for you, and he's in Delaware. And God sent me. <laughs> I'm going to cast that pride out of him soon. God literally sent me to the altar to meet Dale at his church. So it's an amazing story, but for me to get there, you have to read my book. But I want to share something that happened to you when God called me to be a pastor and called me to be his wife. I never realized how much I struggled on my identity and who God called me to be until an issue happened to me. And we were dating, and we were down in Florida at a revival, and we went to leave, and he goes, oh, honey, there's some friends of mine here. I want you to meet them. And when I walked over, the woman grabbed me and pulled me to the side of the room. And she looked at me, and she pointed. She goes, I don't know who you think you are, but you're not Dale's wife. And you're destroying his church, and you're ruining his family. And I go, I don't know who you think you are, but I know who I am. God has called me to be his wife because God gave me a dream. He spoke to me, and a prophet spoke to me. So if you have a problem with that, you talk to Father God. And then out of her mouth, it came like even stronger demonic. And she goes, I said, you are not Dale's wife, and you're destroying him. You're destroying his family, and you're destroying his church. Well, you know, the devil's a liar. <laughs> And when he speaks things to you, he's telling you the truth in the opposite way, you know. And his church had a really hard time because if you're ever in a church and the person dies in the family, the husband or the wife, it's very often the church doesn't go forward because they can't get out of that grieving. 
and I'm a, a woman of deliverance, so I believe God sent me to the church to push them out of grieving. And sometimes God has to bring something new in the church, and he did. He brought me. Well, when this person said that to me, I believe I spoke truth to her, but I didn't realize what she released over me in the spirit. So we left the meeting, and I didn't tell Dale, but we walked up to the husband, and it was so funny because the husband goes, Luann, I want to prophesy over you. And his wife was right there. And he goes, God has called the two of you together. He's the prophet. You're the deliverer. And God has called you to go all the way around the world, and you're going to deliver and prophesy over people. And I almost wanted to turn around and go, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> But I, I had to be nice. I didn't say anything, and we went to go eat at Chick-fil-A. And it was so funny. I was in the car, and we went to go in, and all of a sudden it started hitting me about change in my life. God moved me to Delaware. I had to leave my children behind. They were older, but they're still my babies. And he had to put me in a new place, and I had so much change going on. And I said, God, I can't handle all this change. I'm talking to Father God. I said, God, I can't do this. I can't be a pastor's wife. I started to agree with everything she said inside of me. And I pulled off my diamond, and I turned to Dale, and I said, I can't marry you. There's too much change going on in my life. And he just looked at me and smiled. And we went in, sat in the restaurant. And when we were sitting there, this um, manager, his name is Phil, and he was so happy. And he's come skipping around. And he goes, hi, my name's Phil, and we got a new sauce. And, you know, change is good for everybody. <laughs> it was almost like Father God just slapped me across the face. <laughs> and I looked at Dale. I go, give me the ring back. <laughs> And it's just amazing how I never realized what she released over me. It was the devil trying to get me to agree. You're not called to be his wife. You're not going to go around the world. And you're not going to pastor the church. Well, the devil didn't stop there. He knew I wasn't complete in my identity. So he gave me the ring back, and we just laughed about it. But then we, we go to get married, or actually we're married. And there's a woman in my church, and she comes up to me after a year. And she goes, can I talk to you? Whenever somebody pulls you to the side, it's a hint. Don't go over there. <laughs> and she goes, ah, God gave me a dream last night that Dale married the wrong woman. Oh, and you think I, I'm going to receive that? I said, no, I don't receive that. And she goes, God gave me a dream last night that Dale married the wrong woman. I said, I do not receive that. I said, that is a dream from hell, the devil. And you're trying to put that on me. I do not receive that. Well, you know, the woman actually left our church after I didn't receive the dream. And she had been in your church since 20-some years. But the enemy was trying to plant that lie inside of me. Well, then it wasn't like a week later, this lady came with her hair in a bun. What did somebody call that? Did you call it that? A bun, bondage. Didn't you call that bondage? And um, she had her hair in a bun and a long dress, no makeup. And she goes, can I talk to you? And I was like, here we go again. She goes, you're not a pastor. I go, what? She goes, well, you don't dress like a pastor. 
<laughs> I usually wear those jeans, but I thought it would be good today. And I went, well, what does a pastor dress like? I was just kind of being smart back to her. And she couldn't open her mouth and say anything. I said, well, what does a pastor dress like? What do you want me to dress like? Because this is who I am. I want to be myself. You know? And she left the church. <laughs> and I was like, well, we're cleaning this church out. <laughs> oh, here we go. You asked a question to me. Tell them. What's the question you asked me? I don't know. What was it? You said, one of these people going to... So I, I said to Dale, when are these people going to stop telling me I'm not a pastor? And I said to her, when you stop telling me at home, you're not a pastor. So I really. <laughs> All right, shrimp, sit down. <laughs> I really had a hard time agreeing with God that I was called to be a pastor. So see, the devil knew that there was something still inside of me that I'm like, God, I'm not a pastor's wife. And I would sit and argue with God. God, I did this as a child. I had an abortion. I mean, that should totally throw me out of being a pastor. And um, I would sit there and go, Lord, I did this wrong. I did that wrong. I would try to convince God not to choose me. But now I understand why he chose me. Because you out there need people who are real. You need to hear our real life stories because we are real people and we're not perfect. If you think your pastor's perfect, get that lie out of your mind. We're not perfect. Seriously, we are not perfect. We are human beings just like you and we come to the altar and we get in position so God can make us who we need to be. Now, there's, I want to just make a comment. <laughs> Ushers. Ushers, please. Now, this is, I want you to think of it this way. If you believe a lie, you will draw the liar to you, and people will say it, and you get attacked by hell. But I want, to look, I want you to look at it a different way. If you believe a lie, God looks there, and what he'll do is he'll send somebody to repeat the lie until you rebuke it and move into faith. It's not always the devil. Sometimes God will make you sick of being sick and tired. And when she quit saying at home, I'm not a pastor, it quit happening at church. And God was not going to let a little bit of I don't want to be a pastor on Tuesday to me. He was listening. Weren't you listening? Okay. And that's all I'm saying. He was listening and he said, I'm going to send that person till I drive the last part of that lie out of them because until it's out, I cannot display my full glory. I want to say this to you. Some people... Yeah, you can go to the root. Go ahead. I got to go to the root of it. So I had a really hard time with identity that God could make me someone um, in a place of ministry. And God had to take me back to my childhood. And in my childhood, I was sexually molested repeatedly. And in that place of molestation, I listen to Joyce Myers, and they will say the same old thing. The devil tells the people the same old thing. You're dirty. You're a bad little girl. It's all your fault, and look at what you've done. So that put inside of me the bad girl syndrome, and I had the hardest time getting that bad girl lie out of me, that, oh, I'm a bad girl, so why not expect it? 
until Leif Hetland visited our church. And if anybody knows Leif, Leif will just drive that thing right out of you. And we were sitting there at dinner, and Leif looks at me, and it was like these two, two um, drills came out of his eyes. And he goes, look at me, Luann. Look at me now. And he goes, you are not a bad girl. And I went, how did you know that lie was in me? See, it isn't just the spirit on you. It's the lie you're in agreement with, with the devil. There's, when he talked about the shame, like when they called him shrimp or whatever, the shame comes on. It's not just the shame that comes on. It's you're agreeing with the devil in that area. So if you don't break the lie and cast off the spirit, then it's going to keep on driving with you until you get rid of it. But God will use people to speak to you, to show you what is still lingering in your past. So I want to take you through a deliverance, and I want you to stand up. Yeah. Well, I, I want you to, like, shake everything off that the devil put on you. Amen? Okay. So I want you to close your eyes. I want you to um, ask the Holy Spirit a question. Say, Holy Spirit... I ask you to show me any lies that I believe or demons I have to get rid of (laughs) that came on me in my childhood. Holy Spirit, come. First question, who do I need to forgive? Lord, today, I choose to forgive. Tell the Lord those people you need to forgive. Say, I renounce the shame, the guilt, the condemnation, their judgments against me, any lies I believed about it. I come out of agreement with all their judgments. I break them now. Forgive me where I judge them. And Lord, I thank you today that I'm free to be myself. Because you created me. In Jesus' name. You know, <clears throat> I find that, uh, and we're going to break uh, just for a little while, and then we'll come back, 11-11. I find that, um, you know, often what happens as a child, when, when we led youth for so many years, and the power of God would hit these kids, and, and uh, we would, they would say, you know, why, is, you know why, do, why do we all have issues, <laughs> basically? And I'd say, well, everyone does. The point is not to think that you're always going to do this. But, you know, as a teenager, you know, even as you get a bit older, I always said to them, you know, find the Lord in these areas before you have kids because it'll make it, you have time now to deal with stuff that is more difficult to deal with, you know. And, but then I realized even just being in ministry and as I've grown, everything that Levan's saying about when you were children, it happens like twice. It's a strange thing. It's just the enemy. And it's not to focus on the enemy like he said. It's to run your race looking in the Father's face. Yet when a person gets saved, 
they're reborn, and now they're a spiritual child. And in the first few years, you know, there are things that the enemy will try to taint and put on you, just like he does in the natural, that will affect your life. You know, so a lot of people, sometimes you think childhood issues, and they go to child and some wonderful, but then there are certain lies, and some of them are not these obvious bad ones. Some of them are, you know, success. You're, you're this. You're, you know, when I got saved, people came and told me, you'll, you'll never do this, but you're amazing at this. And it was something that I was terrible at, and I was called to do that. Yet it was a compliment, and it came on me as a spiritual child. You know, and there's, it's a similar thing. And so it's just to remain in the Father's heart and in His presence, understanding that the Father is everyone's Father and all of that. So just if there's something that is like that, you're like, yeah, but that was like as an adult. And that doesn't matter really. But sometimes when a person gets saved, they, you know, they're still a spiritual child. And those first four or five years are formation years, just like it is in the natural. So... Bless you. Thank you, guys. Let's get a have a break. We'll come back at 11.30, which is... No, let's come back at 11.20 uh, if we can.